Again, it's great having you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Hey, uh, by the way, I don't want to forget this. Uh, Pastor Randy right there, our worship leader, today is his birthday, and I think Veronica, isn't he 30 years old? Yeah, he's 30 today. Would you give him a big hand here on his birthday? Give the old man a hand. Hey, is this all of our Teen Challenge girls I see right here? All right, let's give them a hand. We love it when they're with us. Thank you, girls, for being with us, and they're tremendous leaders. Hey, I wish that you knew my buddy. Uh, he's here today, by the way. His name is Vinny. I talked to Vinny yesterday on the phone, and uh, Vinny, and I, you're going you're gonna to say, I, once I tell you this, did you just say he's here today? And that's what I just said, because Vinny, Vinny just had a heart attack, and on Thursday, he had two stents put into his heart, and he was here in church in the 930 service. Can you believe that? That's amazing. You talk about faithfulness. The reason I want to mention that, and next time you come up to me in a service and you just say, oh, pastor, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry I missed last Sunday. I had the sniffles. You may just want to hang on to that a little bit. You know what I mean? You just, you know, if Vinny can have a heart attack and two stents on Thursday and be here Sunday, if you have to blow your nose three times and you can't make it, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just saying. After attaching day of ministry, Jesus made this very, very conscious decision that a little downtime would be good for him and for his disciples. So they come together with a plan. And they just need a little break. And you can understand this. Jesus was always surrounded by crowds. In fact, if your personality type is such that you, you know, in a little while, you can handle it maybe for a little while, but if you become uh, greatly agitated when you're around big crowds, then if you were hanging out with Jesus, you would, it, that would just push you over the edge because Jesus was always constantly surrounded by a massive amount of people. So the plan is for a little solitude. Uh, the plan is for a little getaway a little rest, and so they decide to get into a boat. Now, how many of you know, uh, if you want some rest, that being out on the water or being in a boat is a pretty good place to let your RPMs come down? I love that. There's nothing that will relax me quite like the water. And so the plan is to get into a boat, and they're going to travel to some isolated location that had already been uh, planned ahead of time. So they've got this great plan. Everybody loads up. Everybody gets into the boat or boats because there's some other ones that are participating. And off they go. And they're going to get some rest. At least that's what they think because they have no idea at that moment that any semblance of tranquility was about to get rocked in their lives. Because they had not been out on the water too long at all when out of nowhere there, there's these very high winds, a torrential amount of rain. The waves are kicking up so so high that Mark, and this, is, this portion is found in Mark's gospel, Mark tells us that the winds are so strong and the rains are so heavy that the combination of such causes the waves to come up over and break into the edge of the boat. And all of these, all of Jesus' followers that he's going to find some solitude with for a while, they think their life is over. 
they just think this is it. You know, we thought we were going to get some rest. No, we're not going to get some rest. We're going to an early grave. And then they did what any of us would have done. They thought, really? We've seen the miracle activity of Jesus, and we're just going to find a Jesus. Find Jesus. Apparently, it was a decent-sized boat because he wasn't, like, right there in their face. So they say, well, let's go find Jesus. Let's see what he's doing. And so they go and they find Jesus. And what do they find him doing? Is Jesus praying? No, Jesus is not praying. Is he quoting a scripture, memorizing scripture? No, he is not doing that. Maybe some would think, well, you know, uh, maybe this provided an opportunity now that they're away from the crowds to have a little isolated one-on-one discipleship with one of his students because Jesus is like this greatest rabbi of all time, and he is not doing that either. The fact of the matter is when they go and find Jesus, anybody, if you know the story, you know, you know what he's been doing. Jesus, it says, he is sound asleep. He's just sleeping this thing off. And they're like, are you kidding me? The Bible doesn't tell us everything that they say. It tells us something, and I'll mention a question that they pose to him. But, I mean, can you imagine when they, here we are. Our life is in danger. I mean, the storm is still. I mean, it has not died down. It is still in the moment of intensity. And, and they had to be like, are you kidding me? At a time like this, how can he be asleep? And so they wake him up. And when they wake him up, Jesus opens up his eyes, and he looks at them, and they ask him a question. And here's the question. They said, teacher, don't you care? Don't you care? Look at what's going on. Uh, Don't our lives mean anything? I mean, look at what, and you're sleeping this thing off? Teacher, don't you care? And it reminds me of a couple of things that you can count on occurring in your life. These things are going to happen to you. They may be happening to you right now, but if they haven't, they will at some point, and that is that the peace that you know and feel at some point in your life is going to get rattled. Let me say that again. At some point in your life, maybe not now, maybe not next week, but at some point, the peace that you, you feel in your life, the peace that you know in your life, it's going to get rattled, and when it does, you're going to wonder if Jesus really cares. Does he really care? Does he really know what I go through? Does, he, does this really matter to him? Now, we are into our second week of our new message series, which we're calling Life in God's Kingdom. And I want you to take a look with me at our, our primary passage. It's sort of our overarching text. And this is found in Romans, and this is Paul. And like I asked you last week, if you haven't already done so, you may want to go back and read the verses ahead of this because it will provide some context for you. Uh, and look at it with me, Romans 14, 7 and 18. This is what Paul said. He's been talking to them about some issues, and then he sort of transitions, and he said, and here's what I want you to know, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. You go back and read the preceding verses, you'll see why he says this. It's not that. That's not the kingdom of God. It's not eating and drinking. He said, but the kingdom of God are these three things. And say these three things with me. He said, but they are righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He said, you don't know what it's like to be in the kingdom of God? When you're in the kingdom of God, you're going to know this. You're going to know righteousness. You're going to know peace. You're going to know joy. We talked about joy last week because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and is approved by men. Now, I want to just say right up front in the beginning that the kind of life that God has planned for your life may actually not be the life that you're living right now. You see, God's got a destiny, and he's got a good plan for your life. I want all of you to to know that. Nobody's excluded from that. 
that God's got a good, good plan for your life, but the life that he has planned for you may actually not be the life that you're living. In fact, when you think about your life, you may say, well, I can't even call what I'm doing living because I don't feel like I'm really living. I just feel like I'm existing. I just feel like I'm surviving. It may be that when you think about the purpose of God for your life, you may say, I, I, don't even, I don't even really know that at all. I don't feel that coursing through my life. I don't feel myself embracing the purpose of God. I don't see that. I, I don't have this burning passion going on in my life, smoldering deep down inside. I don't know that. I don't know what that's like. And if so, I'm just going to challenge you today, and I'm going to challenge you next Sunday as well. You've got to step into the reality of life in the kingdom of God. And last week, we talked about joy. And that's what Paul said. He said the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. He said the kingdom of God is joy and it's peace and it's righteousness. Now, last week, again, I talked to you about the joy. Today, I want to tell you what the Bible says about peace. Four things, and you may want to get them down. You can put them down, you know, write them out, your tablet, your iPad, your phone, but just get them down somewhere. Four things the Bible tells about peace, and I'm going to mention them at a pretty good clip, but I want you to hang in here with me because there's some things that you need to hear, and there's some things that you need to embrace for your own life personally. All right, here's the first one. Peace is a gift from God to you. That's a fact. Peace is a gift from God to you. Now, consider for just a moment every amazing gift that God has ever extended to your life, and then ask yourself, concerning those gifts, did I really deserve them? Ask yourself that. What about, say, for example, the gift of life? Do you and I deserve the gift of life? You can't say that we can't, because we did not even have an existence before God gave us a life. And it's not like we can merit it. It's not like we could secure it, that we like sort of earn the right to have a life. It's like we had no existence. We had no breath. We had no life. And then God determined, he said, that you are going to have life. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give to you the gift of life. And God did that. And when God does that, that's really an amazing thing. And I want to just say to you, listen, the life that God gave to you is not an accident. It is not. Your life is not an accident. And I know, anytime I say something like that, I know the thoughts that are going through some people's minds. You may be here this morning. You may be thinking the very thing that I've heard people say again and again. Well, Pastor Jeff, you don't know my story. My life is an accident. My parents have told me that I was an accident. Or I realized that based on the circumstances that I was born into, that I was not planned. And listen, I want to be so clear on this. You may have not been planned by your parents, but your life is planned by God. God's got a plan for your life, and he planned that you had an existence. And I want to just go and furthermore say that because God is the creator and master designer of life, that every single life matters to God. Every life, boy, girl, young and old, skin color, it doesn't matter. The life of those who are living as well as every unborn child, even now, the life that God gives is life that matters all lives matter, the born and the unborn. And I think that's just something because a lot of times we don't keep that in mind. We forget. And we say, well, until a person's like really born, do they really have a life? In God's sight, listen, even before the moment of their birth, how many of you know that that is a life and that life matters greatly to God? Do you agree with that? What about the gift of the Holy Spirit? the gift of the Holy Spirit, and maybe at times you don't even realize that it is so operative in your life, but it is. 
the gift of the Holy Spirit and what, what he's doing, how he's working, that he's giving you guidance all, all the time. It's like this internal GPS, and he's just trying to say, no, you don't want to go that direction. That's not a good plan. You need to stay on this path. No, don't turn aside on that road. That's going to take you on a detour that could be destructive to your soul. No, you stay on this path, and the Holy Spirit's constantly offering to us guidance and comfort the promise of his unceasing presence. You heard about me, you heard me talk about that not too long ago when I said Jesus gave this promise. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. And they're like, what, really? It's to your advantage that you leave us? How can that be an advantage? He said, because when I send the Holy Spirit, he's gonna be with you. I can't be with you everywhere. But the Holy Spirit can and he will. And then from the Holy Spirit comes this conviction, and conviction is a good thing. You may feel like, man, when the Holy Spirit is convicting me about something that is so uncomfortable for me, that is the way it's designed to be, to get our attention. And conviction is a good thing because if you don't have conviction in your life, you become a law unto yourself, and you just sort of enter into a personal crisis of anarchy where you just think, I'll do what I want, when I want, with who I want, wherever I want, and and you don't want to live your life. And the Holy Spirit is constantly there, and it's a gift from God that is just saying, no, 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 I've got a better plan for you. What about the gift of salvation? Did we deserve that? Did, Did we earn that, the gift of salvation? And by the way, I was uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, and I, I don't want to fail to mention to you, that's why I'm so excited about our small group cur- curriculum coming up. We're doing this series about the Holy Spirit with Francis Chan called Forgotten God. Is there anybody here, by the way, that has ever read that book, Forgotten God by Francis Chan? It is wonderful, and you're going to enjoy it. And he's t- going to talk about the third person in the Trinity that does not get as much attention. It's like God does, and, and Jesus does, and he talks about the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing and up to in our lives. It's a great study. And that's why I want you to be plugged into one of our small groups when they start. But again, back to the gift of salvation. Did we earn that? Did we work for that? Did we happen to score high on the potential of I'm going to be a really good Christian exam and therefore God felt obligated to give to us the gift of salvation? It's not how it happens. It happens because Jesus made a sacrifice for us. The Bible talks about a, he became our substitute. The sort of the theological wording around that is that he became our substitutionary atonement, that he atoned for our sin. He paid for our sins, our past, present, future. He who committed no sins at all became our substitute, and he took all of our sins, all of ours, and the sins of the whole world upon himself. And he became the substitute, stood in there, and he died. We should have died, but he did it. We didn't deserve that. We, just, we deserve to be alienated from God. We deserve to be, you know, just wiped out to spend eternity in hell. But God said, I don't want you to spend any eternity in hell. And so I'm offering to you grace and mercy and forgiveness. I was th- thinking about my, my papa this week. And, you know, when we started having these grandkids and, and they're like, hey, what would you like to be called? I, I was like, I'd, I'd like to be called Pawpaw. And why? Because that was such an affectionate term for me. I, I idolized my papa. He was just a great, great man. And, and he passed away way, way too young when I was just seven years of age. But I'd hung out with him a whole lot. And, and so I, they asked me to, you know, what do you want? I want to be called Pawpaw. Of course, uh, Kinley now, who's about three, she's, uh, she's developed this edge of sarcasm. I'm not sure where she got it from, but she has this sarcasm. So the last few days when I've been talking to her on the phone, she'll say, okay, Poppy? And I'm like, I'm not your Poppy. I'm your Pawpaw. Don't call me Poppy. I'm your Pawpaw. And she'll say, okay, Poppy? And I mean, just, she's just got that edge about her. She's so much like her dad. 
But my papa, I'm just, you know, just thinking about him. And, 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 you know, I look around our house today, things that he bought me. I got a little roll-top desk in our formal living room. He bought me. I didn't even know what a desk was. He bought me a tricycle before I could even crawl. And why did he, why did he, why did he do that? Was he like, you know what, uh, Jeff, you have earned this. You have earned this. You've made really good grades. I didn't even know. I wasn't old enough to know what a grade was. I didn't know what school was. Well, you earned it because you've obeyed your parents. I didn't even, I was so little, I didn't even know what parents were. Well, you earned this because you hit a home run. I, I, I didn't even, I couldn't have recognized a, a bat from a bat, if you know what I mean. But he didn't give it to me because I'd earned it. He loved me and wanted me to enjoy something that he had made freely available to me. That's what God does with salvation. He doesn't say to you, you know, I'm going to give you this because you've earned it, because you've been a good boy, because you've been a good girl, and you passed all the tests. He said, I offer you to the gift of salvation because I love you, and I want it to be enjoyed by you. I make it freely available to you because I already died so that you wouldn't have to. Now, God also has this unbelievable gift. In addition to the gift of your life and the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you and the gift of salvation that many of you have already experienced, he also says, hey, I've got another gift that I want to give to you. This is an amazing gift, and it's my gift of peace to you. Here it is. In fact, look at what Jesus says in John 14. In John 14, 27, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus said, I give you, it's a gift, I give you peace, the kind of peace, what's the rest of that sentence say? The kind of peace that, only I can give. And it isn't like the peace that this world can give to you. So don't be worried. Don't be afraid. There's some thoughts wrapped around this that I want you to consider for just a moment. This is still under sort of our big number one. We've not moved on to the second idea about peace yet. It's just some thoughts around this first idea is that, that peace is a gift from God to us. And Jesus is saying, my peace, you know, is unlike any other peace that you could ever receive. It's not the peace the world offers to you. It's real peace. I want to give it to you. And Jesus is saying, there's only one source for the kind of peace that I really want to give you and the kind of peace that you really need in your life. And a lot of people get confused about this. A lot of people say, well, you know how I'd have more peace? I would have more peace in my life if I had more money. If I just had more money, I'd have more peace. But if that were true, then why doesn't every affluent person, wealthy person have peace? You know anybody? I know a bunch of people who have an incredible amount of financial resources and toys and things. Their net worth is staggering, and yet they don't have peace. A lot of times, you know, somebody said, well, I, I know how I could get peace. If I just had a girlfriend, that would cause me to experience peace. Or if I just had a better job, or if I could find me a husband. And those are substitutes for what is real peace. In fact, compared to the peace that Jesus is able to offer, every other form of peace is simply a counterfeit when you think about it. And Jesus said, if you'll take my peace and I, I offer it to you, it is peace that will drive away your worries and your fears. And he offers this to you. I want you to think about that. And Jesus is saying to every one of you from this very front row to the back and from side to side, Jesus would say to you, 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 every one of you, here is something that I want to give you. I want to give you my peace. But then you've got to make a conscious decision as to whether or not you're going to receive it. I want you to look at this verse. This is Paul over in uh, writing to some believers in a place called Philippi. Look at what he says in 4-7. Then because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with what? What, God, what is God going to bless you with? 
peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace will control the way that you think and the way that you feel. So peace, number one. Peace is a gift from God to you. Be sure you get this next one. Number two, peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is not the absence of problems. Now, I've got some news for you this morning. How many of you would like to, how many of you'd like to hear it? You'd, you'd like to hear some news. All right, you're, you're hesitant, I understand, because you're wondering, is he going to give me, like, good news or bad news? All right, just answer your question. I'm going to give you both, and I'll give you the good news first. Here it is. Listen, here's the good news first. The good news is all of your problems will eventually end. Isn't that good news? All of your problems will eventually end. Some of you are ahead of me. How did you get my notes? My notes are not available. <laughs> the bad news is, yeah, you got it. You're going to have to wait until you die. That's when it's going to happen. The good news is all of your problems are going to end. When's that going to happen? When you die. Now, you may be saying, well, you know, I, I think I'll finally, you know, finally reach a moment in my life when I have some peace, and that's going to be when all of my troubles and all of my challenges have reached a conclusion. Then I'm going to know what peace is all about. Because maybe you look at your life, and, and to this stage in your life, each chapter of your life has some turmoil, has some anxiety, has some trouble in it. And you're just saying, I can't wait to the day when the final chapter of trouble, not of my life, but of trouble has been written. And I could say, man, that is the last chapter of trouble and problems and challenges and circumstances that are negative. I'm going to close the chapter and now no more problems. If that's what you're thinking, that when you reach that stage in your life, you're going to have real peace, you're not going to have peace because that's never going to happen. Do not be confused, my friend. The unmistakable message of the Bible is not that peace is the absence of problems. The message of the Bible is this, is that you can be loaded down with problems and you can still have God's peace in your life. That's why I'm always inspired when I see somebody that's just walking through, navigating through a painful ordeal, walking through a challenge. My faith is increased because I see, look at everything that they're having to deal with. Look at their struggles. Look at their problems. Look at what they're encountered in their life, and yet they have peace. As Paul said, you saw it a moment ago, that no one can completely understand. And can I just add a caveat here that if that is true of you, and you've got people in your life, and they're looking at you, and, and they're like, I wonder if what they have, you know, in terms of their faith is legitimate. I wonder if they're like a really authentic Christian. I wonder if this is really more than what they just say or talk about. I wonder if what's, if it's what their life is really like. And then I'm just saying to you, friend, you go through a challenge. You go through a painful issue. You encounter a problem in your life, and when people around you, your friends, your coworkers, your family members see that there is a deep residing peace that God has deposited into your your life, let me tell you what it will do for them. For your unredeemed friends, for your lost friends, what it will cause them to do. For your family members that do not know Jesus, you know what it will cause them to do? It will cause them to give serious consideration to God because this is what they're going to notice about you. Your spiritual life is not just something that you talk about. Your spiritual life is something that you're actually living out. And that's why you can walk through a challenge and they can say, you know what? I've seen people walk through lesser, lesser challenges. And yet there's just something about them that is so remarkable. They have peace. In John 16, these are the words of Jesus. And I'm, I want us to read them together. Look at what Jesus has to say about this. Let's all read it. Help me out. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. 
because I have overcome the world. Now, what is he telling us here? He is telling us here that there is a peace that can only be found in him. That's why I'm telling you in this series, if you just feel like, you know, I, I'm not embracing the life that God has for me. I'm, I'm not really living. I'm just existing. I'm not really thriving. I'm just surviving. I'm not really understanding God's purpose. I don't feel the passion of God in my life. Then, friends, I'm going to say it again today, and I'm going to say it again next week, and you're going to hear me say it until we're done, that you need to step into the reality of God's kingdom for your life. It's not eating and drinking. It's peace and joy and righteousness. That's why I encourage every single spiritual seeker and skeptic that is here today to embrace that, you know, is, is to just say, you know what, if, if you're, and you may say, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Jeff, I'm not even a, it would be a compliment to call me a seeker. I'm a skeptic. I'm not a Christian. And you may even have a mentality that uh, you're not going to convince me to become a Christian. I know I can't do that. That's got to be a decision that you can make. I can urge you. I can speak to you why I think that that is the wisest decision that you could ever make in your life, but you're right, and God has given you the capacity and the ability to either choose to reject him or to accept him, but I would encourage you to accept him because when you accept Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life, here's what you have. You have the promise of being with God in an eternal home in heaven, but even more than that, it's not just like some eternal promise and nothing comes into play now. It is the promise that while you're here, while you are in, listen, this trouble-loaded, sorrow-producing world, that Jesus, who has already prevailed over this world, is going to walk with you every single step of the way. Pray with a lady yesterday. It appears that she's at the end of her life. And I just wanted her to be reminded. And I mean, it was amazing. I talked to this lady. She doesn't have years. She doesn't have months. And while we're talking, she's just got this smile on her face. And when I prayed for her at the end, I just prayed that she would every day be reminded that her father is with her every moment of every day. And he is not going to ever, ever step away from her not even for a millisecond, but every moment of every day. It caused me to think about just this promise that we have this ultimate security in God. And it's not only the promise that we're going to have an eternal home in heaven with God, but that he's going to be with us here. And it reminded me when I was about in the sixth grade, where I live, we had this bully. And he's about three years older than I was. And, uh, you know, may, I, I could have been. It's possible. I'm not going to declare it to be a fact. But it could have been that I was a little mouthy in those days. And uh, I was not afraid of him yet. I would develop a fear for him. Because uh, one day I just apparently told him something that I thought, which is not what he wanted to hear, and before I could about get the final word and put the exclamation on the end, he had already reached back and planted his fist on my jaw. And it hurt. I'd love to tell you that I punched him right back. I'd love to tell you that in rapid fire succession, I hit him so fast he never saw what coming. I would love to tell you that it knocked him to the ground and that he never picked on me again. But if I said that, none of those things would be true. And I've always heard that when you're preaching, you need to tell the truth. So I did the next best thing. I said, I'll be right back. And I went and got my dad. He wasn't afraid of me. 
but he was afraid of my father. The evil one is not afraid of you, but I promise he's afraid of your father. And your father said he's going to walk with you every single step. Peace is not the absence of problems. He's been in the middle of your problems and your challenges and still knowing that you're held in the hands of God. Thirdly, it's impossible to embrace peace. You see it on the screen there? It is impossible to embrace peace with what? Everybody say it. With what? With an out-of-control mind. You can't have peace when your mind is out of control. Now, do you, do you realize how complex your brain really is? You realize that? Uh, I know what some of you are thinking, and don't go there to get you in big trouble. Yeah, I, I know. I know they're complex. Don't, don't even go there. I'm just saying your brain, my brain, is incredibly complex. I read an article not long ago, and I'll read just a portion of it. Listen to this. This is true. This is fact. Your brain is your most amazing organ, and it went on to tell us why. Even though it is only 2% of your body's weight, your brain, 2% of your body's weight, it uses 20 to 30% of the calories that you consume and 20% of the oxygen and blood flow in your body. This article says that your brain is actually the most expensive real estate in your body that requires the most resources. Listen, listen. It has 100 billion, not million, 100 billion nerve cells and more connections in it than there are stars in the universe. That is your brain. And the article says when your brain works right, you work right. When your brain is troubled, you're much more likely to have trouble. With a healthy brain, people are happier and physically healthier because they make better decisions. And isn't it true when you think about it that your brain, that your mind is going to work for you or it will if you're not careful. If it gets out of control, it will work against you. You see, the biggest skirmish that you're going to have in this matter of being able to maintain a grip on peace is not going to be God's unwillingness to deposit peace into your life because if you remember from the very first point that God Peace is a gift from God to you. It's not like God is saying, no, I don't know that I'm going to give it. No, God is saying, I'm going to give it to you. So that's not what their battle is. The battle is not going to be, well, you know, uh, once I have a significant reduction in the volume of my problems, then I'm going to have peace. That's, that's not where the battle is going to be. The battlefield actually concerning your peace exists between your own ears. Because with your mind, you can say, you know what? I've concluded that God is good. Or with that same mind, you can not say God is good. You can say, I'm just not sure I can trust God. I'm not sure that God is really, in essence, as good as everybody wants me to believe that he is. You can do that with your mind. With your mind, you can say, God loves me. I'm I'm irrationally loved by God to the point that he sent Jesus, that he loves me unconditionally, not just because I'm good, but he loves me even when I'm not good. And there's nothing I could do that would make him love me anymore. Nothing, you know, I could do that would make him love me any less. You can conclude with your mind that God loves you, or you can just say with that same mind, he is indifferent toward me. With your mind, you can say, he hears my prayers, or you can say, my insignificance is so great that God overlooks me or ignores me. With your mind, you can say, God is continually watching over me. Or you can say that he is so terribly preoccupied with things that are happening on a global scale. He doesn't even know what I'm doing. With your mind, you can say he holds me in the palm of his hands and that nothing can ever touch my life unless it comes through the hands of my father. You can say that with your mind. Or you can say, you know what? I'm totally vulnerable. I'm so exposed 
that I live in perpetual danger. Someone has said, I want you to think carefully about this. Someone has said what makes future telling thoughts, you got to sort of hear this. It won't make sense initially. What makes future telling thoughts, thoughts that you have about the future, so toxic is that your mind tends to make happen what it sees. You think about it long enough, you dwell about it, your mind convinces you enough, you'll find some way for that to become a reality for your life. That's why it's so toxic. That's why you have to make sure that your mind is not out of control because if you've got an out-of-control mind, you're not going to have the peace of God ruling and reigning in your life. Let's read this next verse together, everybody. Romans 8, 6. Read it with me, full voice now. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You've heard me mention this name before. His name is Dallas Willard. He passed away not too long ago. Uh, Dallas Willard is one of the most foremost thinkers and writers, brilliant, concerning matters of spiritual growth and spiritual formation. And he writes about this. And I know that you already know that your mind is actually a reflection of where your heart is, but Dallas takes it beyond that. And he said, what is on your mind sets the scene for what your will will choose. Listen to that again. What is on your mind Think about that for yourself. What is on your mind sets the scene for what your will has actually got you to do. So your mind, you're either going to say, you know what? My mind tells me that that is something that I should not do, and therefore I'm not going to do it. Or my mind tells me I should, and you're dwelling on this. My mind tells me I should do this, and I am going to do it. Or your mind can speak to your will. Your mind can be dwelling on, on something, and, and your mind can shout out to your will, this is what you ought to do, and your will will cooperate, listen, with your mind, even when your mind is trying to lead you in the wrong direction. He goes on to say that to love God with all your mind is to take your feelings and your thoughts and to devote them entirely to what is good for God. Take a look at what John Orberg has written concerning the mind. He says, we can, by choice and by our actions, invite God to be present in our mind or we can close the door to him. It all depends on what kind of mind we actually want to cultivate. So how do you respond to that? Will you invite God in or will you close the door to him? Whatever you do, I promise, will dramatically influence your mind. You can invite God into your thinking. Because again, remember, you can't have the peace of God with a mind that is out of control. And so you can invite God into your thinking. Say, God, help with my thoughts. Help with the engagement of my mind. Or you can close the door and stay out. Either way, it's going to affect you. One last thing, fourth and finally. I'm just going to speak to this very, very briefly. The greatest peace of all is to have peace with God. Peace with God. See, you can be here this morning and you can be a Christian and not necessarily be at peace with God. I'll explain to you why in a moment. Or you certainly are not at peace with God if you're not a Christian because you're not yet realized and stepped into what is God's plan for your life. You've not yet stepped into the kingdom of God, into the life, the righteous, joyful, peace-filled life that he wants you to have. Look at this verse on the screen. This is Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have what? Peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So two quick thoughts, and then we're done. 
You can have peace with God when you pick up your cross. Some of you who are, who are not yet Christians, you're saying, well, man, that doesn't sound very peaceful. That doesn't sound very fun. It doesn't sound very fulfilling. Pick up my cross. Well, you're not literally going to have to pick up a cross as Jesus picked up a cross. But to pick up your cross, when Jesus said to his followers, pick up your cross and follow me, he was pointing them toward the path of obedience. And this is what authentic disciples do. They follow Jesus. They say, Jesus, we are with you. We believe that the words that you speak are words of life and spirit. And we believe that your plan is a much better plan than the plan that we have for our own lives. So here's what we'll do. We'll pick up our cross and we'll follow you, the path of obedience. And if you're not a Christian, You're not going to have complete peace with God. And to you, I would say, pick up your cross. Choose to become his disciple. Make a concrete decision today that you're going to follow him. You'll be his disciples. You'll let him lead you and teach you and guide you. You'll allow him to deposit his Holy Spirit into your life. So you have this ever-present reality that he's with you and the conviction and the comfort that you really need from God. How do you have peace with God? If you're not in his family, you've got to pick up a cross. Now, if you are a Christian and you don't have peace with God, now there can be some reasons, but I want to tell you one of the primary ones. It may be that you don't have peace with God because it's not that you need to pick something up. You need to lay something down. You need to lay down your sin or sins. That is the path of repentance. It is saying, I do not want anything to harm or hinder my relationship with God. And there are some of you right now that you just say, I know I felt conviction about this. I know that this is going on in my life and it should not go on in my life. I know that this is going on in my mind. I know that this is going on in my heart and it should not. And so I want to have peace with God. I know God. I love God. But there's just something, I'm, I'm not saddled. It's like a burned saddle and I can't get comfortable. And the reason you can't get comfortable is that sin has become a wedge between you and the peace that God wants you to have. For some of you, it's picking something up. It's a cross. For others of you, it may be laying something down, a sin pattern, a habit, an addiction that is keeping you from realizing God's best dream for your life. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. The band is coming. We're going to sing a final song, and then we're out of here. You don't want to miss next week. We're going to wrap up this series. I'm so looking forward to what God's going to teach us during that time. But right now, just bow your heads, close your eyes, right where you're at. If you're here today and you'd say, you know, Jeff, you're speaking to me. You're speaking to me. I know that I don't have peace with God because I need to pick up my cross. I know that I need to choose the path of obedience. I'm not in the family of God, and I want to receive Jesus into my life. While heads are bowed and nobody's looking around, even when you lift your hand, don't open your eyes, but just say, that's me. That's me. I want to choose to follow Jesus. I want to become his follower. I want to pick up a cross. If that's you, lift your hand. I want to pray for you today. Others of you that would say, you know, for me, it's not picking up a cross. It's laying down something. And I need to lay down some sin in my life. Would you pray for me if that's you? You'd just be real candid. You'd be real honest and say, I've got some sin in my life. And I feel conviction over it. I know it's hindering my relationship with God. And I want to lay it down. I want to just pray for you. Those of you that would just say, and you would pray with me. Lord God, I just come to you right now. Just pray that in your heart. And I want to pick up a cross. I choose the path of obedience. I want to become your disciple. Will you teach me? Will you lead me? Will you guide me? I need you in my life. Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me of all of them. I receive you now as the Savior and the leader of my life. 
Others of you just say, God, I'm, I need to lay this sin down. I know it's wrong. I've kidded myself. I need to lay it down. I want to be done with it. And I want to pursue you. I'll choose the path of repentance. Because I don't want anything, anything to hinder my relationship with you. And God, we thank you that you hear our prayers. You're such a great God. You're powerful. You're our rock. David said, our fortress, our deliverer, the God in whom we run to. And we receive help from you. We're going to sing one more song. I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay here to the final words of this song. And then Pastor Randy will dismiss us in this prayer. But I want you to think about the rock in your life that will give you, as Paul said, a peace that passes all understanding. Let's lift our voices. Let's sing. Let's declare it today. Unchanging grace, the rock 
Jesus a shout of praise. Amen. God, we thank you this morning that you are a rock, you are peace, God. And God, we leave here encouraged and empowered, God, to know that we might face problems. God, we might walk through things we don't understand, but you're with us through every season, through every storm. And God, so we pause right now, God, as we enter into our week, God, would you allow us to be reminded of this moment that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And God, we can trust in that name, that rock, the name of Jesus. We honor you in Jesus' name. If you love the Lord, won't you give him one more shout of praise in this place? God bless you guys. Thank you for being here today. We'll hope to see you next week. We love you.